Thank you so much, praise team, for leading us to the Lord today. Uh, I don't know about you, but I could sit and listen to these folks for a long, long time. Uh, we've been very, very blessed this morning. Thank you for that very special time of expressing our faith to the Lord through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, Susan Stearns is a Christian author who told of praying with her eight-year-old daughter one evening at bedtime. And uh, as her little girl uh, prayed on, she said, Jesus, please lock the doors if they have not been locked. And, of course, Susan chuckled at such a childish little prayer, and she didn't think anything more about it. The next morning, as she opened the front door to leave her house, there were the keys dangling in the lock outside the door. The house had indeed been unlocked all night, and the family had been vulnerable. And Susan said this in the article she wrote. She said, I stood amazed at how the Lord led my little girl to pray. And she said, I thanked God for his protection. And all God's people said, Amen. Yes. God is at work like that daily in our lives. Uh, The great reformer, Martin Luther, I had something very wonderful to say about what we call providence. And I want you to notice his very, very penetrating and insightful words. This is what he said. God's wonderful works, which happen daily, are lightly esteemed. Not because they are of no import, but because they happen so constantly and without interruption. Man is used to the miracle that God rules the world and upholds all creation, and because things daily run their appointed course, it seems insignificant. And no man thinks it worth his while to meditate upon it and to regard it as God's wonderful work, and yet it's a greater wonder than that Christ fed 5,000 men with five loaves and made wine from water. What an amazing statement. God's providential working is greater than his miraculous working. And if we ask the question why, well, says Martin Luther, miracles are God's occasional works. They are unique. But providence is God's constant works. They are happening all the time and are uninterrupted. Today, uh, we're coming back to the book of Ruth. And I want us to see today how God provides through his providence. I'm bringing a message entitled, How God Provides for His People. And as we open our Bibles again to Ruth chapter 2 and look at the last half of the chapter, we're going to see two things. Number one, the reality of God's provision for us. 
And then secondly, we are going to see the theology behind God's provision. And that is always the way it works. What God does for us is because of the kind of God that He is to us. And so today, we see the reality of His provision, but then we see the theology behind it. Let's begin shall we, by reading verses 14 to 18, and let's look at the reality of how God provides for His people. Look with me at Ruth chapter 2 and follow along as I read, starting in verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, do not embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And, in case she didn't hear me, don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after her noontime meal, after she had eaten enough. Now, these wonderful little verses are how God provides for you and for me as His children. And let's notice, first of all, it's very clear here that God provides through His providence. Now, there's a chronological break between verses 1 to 13 and verses 14 to the end of the chapter. Verses 1 to 13, the events happen in the morning. And now starting at verse 14, we have events that are happening in the afternoon. Now here is this generous, godly, kind, compassionate believer by the name of Boaz. And we discover as we come now to the afternoon that he is not done helping Ruth. Uh, She has three very critical needs. Critical needs that must be resolved if she and her family are to survive. Uh, She has the need for food because she is poor and she has no effective means of getting a job. She has the needs for safety because she is a vulnerable widow living in very violent times without a father or a husband And then her third need is she needs a husband to provide a future family so that that family can work the lands that they own and keep them from perpetual poverty. Do you know Boaz is the key to all three of these needs? Uh, The food and safety issue will be resolved in chapter 2. And the husband and future family will be resolved in chapter 3. But Boaz is the key to all three of those needs. Now, we have to realize there's no hint of romance going on here. 
I mentioned a couple of weeks ago what Hollywood would do with this story, right? But because of the social, economic, and racial barriers, it prohibited any thoughts of marriage on the part of Ruth or on the part of Boaz. You know what Boaz is? He is simply a godly man living out his faith in the Lord, providing for a godly, vulnerable widow. And I want you to notice the things that he did for her. He personally served her a delightful lunch in verse 14, or she would have gone hungry all day long. When Ruth left her house that morning, she left in search of food. And it seems very, very clear that she had no lunch with her. Now, when verse 14 says that Boaz offered her this lunch, uh, literally it means to give with the hand. We see here that she keeps her distance because she knows, I'm a beggar. I'm not a part of his hired servants. But now what does he do? He brings her in to the very center of the picture, and with his own hands, this wealthy landowner serves her a delicious, nourishing lunch. The very fact, by the way, that he eats with his own hired worker says something about the man to begin with, right? And then he serves this beggar. What an extraordinary action on the part of a powerful, influential, wealthy man. Notice, secondly, he kept her safe by warning the hired hands twice not to give her a hard time or to shame her in any way. Remember, the book of Judges is a very violent time. At the end of the book of Judges, you have a gang rape. And the woman who is raped is left for dead, and she actually dies. Ruth is living during very violent times, and here she is, a poor, foreign, unprotected widow who could easily be harassed or even worse. And so Boaz protects her and gives her safety. Third thing he does for her is he made her task of leaning barley so much, so much easier for her. Now, if we look at this scene this morning on the screen, we can begin to see what she expected versus what she got. Here's Ruth in the corner of this scene. And she is anticipating that she will pick up the scraps, the leftovers, which the poor are permitted to do. And she anticipates This is how I'm going to make my living by picking away at these scraps. Somebody has said this would be like making a living by picking up aluminum cans and recycling them. That's what she is anticipating. But I want you to notice in verse 15, Boaz says to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. The word sheaves here is a reference to the bundles that were tied in clusters by the women. You can see that in the scene. And so essentially what Boaz is saying 
is I want you to allow Ruth to come. And when these uh, sheaves have been tied in bundles, allow her just to reach in and pull out whatever amount she can get. And that way the grains would be far more numerous. But then notice the next thing he said. Verse 16, he says to his men, I want you to pull out the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Now, the word bundles there is a reference to the quantity of grain that a harvester would hold in his left hand while he would cut those sheaves in his right hand with a sickle. Now, see here what Boaz is doing. He is saying he doesn't even want her to have to cut or to even pull the grain. She just simply is allowed to pick it up in clusters as these hired servants leave it for her. How amazing this is. God providentially guides her to the fields of a man that he knows will minister to her. This is the providence of God. I can't help but think about this, but think about when I was 11 years old. My mother was very concerned about how her son was going to learn to work. Uh, Her brothers had grown up on a farm in Gulliver, and they had learned to work very hard with my lumberjack father. In fact, all of them did extremely well though they only had an eighth grade education because of how they learned to work. But I was growing up in the city, and there weren't the same chores in where I was growing up. And so my mother was very concerned. How is my son going to learn to pray, going to learn to work? And, And I'm very sure that my mom was praying. One day, there was a knock on our door. The teenage uh, paper carrier for our route was giving up the route. He came from an active Christian family, and he knew that we were an active Christian family, and he wanted to give the paper route to another Christian. Well, there was a little bit of a problem. You needed to be 12. I was three months shy from being 12. But he said that he would recommend me, and because he recommended me, the route manager allowed me to start the route even though I was only 11. You know what my jealous neighbor did? My jealous neighbor, on the day that the route manager came to interview me to allow me to start at 11 years old, shouted over the fence, Hey, Brian, when are you going to be 12? Don't you love neighbors like that? In the providence of God, the route manager was also a Christian. And he wanted to be gracious to me. And so I began that route at 11 years old, and I had it for over five years until I was 17. Man, did I learn to work. Seven days a week, rain, snow, cold, heat, 
early in the morning, late at night, when the presses had broken down, I had to collect. I ran my own little business and kept the books for it. I had to deal with all kinds of different people, the easy people as well as the gruff people. Do you know at that age, I hadn't had the foggiest idea that one day I was going to be a pastor. And yet, oh, the experience that I gained was perfect for becoming a pastor. And I now look back on that and I recognize that was not accidental. My mother's prayers, that paper boy's age, his wanting to give the route to another Christian, the fact that the route manager was a Christian who okayed me starting early at the age of 11. It was all God's providential working, sending godly people into my life to prepare me for my future. I had no clue at the time, but now as I look back, I can see God's hands were all over it. You see, that's the way God works. That is the way God works. It's His providence in all of our lives. Let's notice the second thing. Secondly, as we look at this passage, we learn that God provides through our diligence. Man, oh man, could this godly believing woman work. Notice what it says in verse 17. She gleaned until evening. Uh, Evening started at about 6 p.m., so she worked all day. Verse 17 says she threshed the barley, probably beating it with a stick to separate the grain from the chaff. Uh, This is hard, hard work. And then will you notice that verse 17 says when she was finished that she had an ephah of grain, that is about 30 to 50 pounds of threshed grain. I want you to listen to this for just a moment. That amount of grain was enough to feed about 50 soldiers. Do you realize the average harvester's daily ration for a man was about 1 to 2 pounds a day of threshed grain. One to two pounds for the average man, this is anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds. We are reading here a very, very extraordinary feat on the part of this woman. Uh, by the way, I, I've just got to say it here. I've just got to say it. Anything that a man can do, A woman can do better. All God's women here today said. You know what my wife said? My wife said, no. Anything that a woman puts her mind to, she will do. And all God's women said, yeah, yeah. Then notice verse 18. She carried it back home to town. 
Now, someone said this would be like carrying the size of a colossal bag of dog food home. This is an extraordinary, extraordinary feat. Can we just say here, Ruth is not a slacker? Sitting around at home, waiting for a handout while she does nothing. What an important point there is for us here. Providence does not mean we sit around inactive wondering when God is going to do something for us. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, our elder, Josh uh, uh, Vissering, gave his testimony. And one of the things he said in his testimony is, God expects Christians to be active. And when he said that, I, I just thought, amen. Absolutely amen. Here's what providence is. It is an opportunity for us to go after what God has for us through obedience and diligence. That's what providence is. We're to be active in serving Him and then active in pursuing what we believe His will is for us. And so we see this beautiful symmetry. On the one hand, God does things for her that she could not possibly have accomplished, and yet we see her faith and her godliness and her diligence adding to what God was calling her to. Look at the third way that God provides. Thirdly, God provides from His abundance. Verse 18 is very amazing. She carries this 30 to 50 pounds of grain back to town, and her mother-in-law sees how much she has gathered. And then Ruth also brings out what was left over from that wonderful lunch she had back in verse 14. And she gives that amount to Naomi. Now this is just an amazing, amazing thing. The barley grain that Ruth harvested was enough to feed her and Naomi now for several weeks. But then the lunch that she had at noon was so plentiful that she had enough left over. Now, let's remember, Naomi is too old to go out and glean. She's been sitting around the house all day waiting for food to be provided, but she thinks when the grain comes home, I'm going to have to get busy and roast it and prepare it And she's got this aching stomach from all day, and now she has a meal to eat immediately as she then gets strength to prepare the meal that Ruth will eat that evening. And I say to all of us this morning, these people aren't rich at this point, but their needs are met. And they're more than enough met. That's the way that God is. When I was in seminary, I I had a professor who was more like a spiritual father to me than just a professor. He had been a pastor, and uh, he just had a pastor's heart, and he would throw out to us as students... Uh, just some wonderful bits of wisdom. 
One day he said this. He said, I never made an issue over my salary when it came time for the yearly budget. He said, at budget time, I just accepted whatever the church paid me. And then these words. I found it was always enough. And I was so impressed by this godly man that I thought to myself, when I become a pastor, that's what I'm going to do. When it comes to budget time, I'm not going to make a huge conflict over what is being paid to me. I'm going to trust God that it will be adequate for my needs. And in 28 years of being a senior pastor, it has always been enough. Always. That's the way God is. He works through His providence... He calls us to a life of diligence and service, of faithfulness and obedience. And we will find out of his abundance, it's always enough. Now, why is it that we can bank on this? Well, in the rest of this chapter, what we discover is that chapter 2 closes with the theology of God's provision. And there's a wonderful symmetry here. Verses 14 to 18, uh, what God provides. And then verses 19 to 23, why God does this. This is the God that you believe in. This is the God that I believe in. Let me just share with us this morning as we close this message out three lessons about God that we all can rely upon. Here's the first one. Number one, God blesses those who determine to be a blessing. Look at verse 19. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi can can hardly hide her excitement as she she gives these rapid-fire questions and then says, Blessed be this man who has taken notice of you. Now, why does Naomi pronounce a blessing on Boaz? Follow me carefully here. She knew this is how God works. Ruth, because of her faith, was determined at all costs to be a blessing to Naomi. And now God sent Boaz to bless Ruth because she was a blessing. Naomi now understands that God would return the favor to Boaz because this is the kind of God that he is. 
Uh, Keep your finger here for just a moment and turn with me over to Psalm 34. And I want you to read uh, the principle that this one truth is based upon, starting in verse 11. Psalm 34, and listen to what God says about those who are determined to be the right kind of blessing to others. Psalm 34, starting at verse 11. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now notice why, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. This is how God works. He blesses those who determine to be a blessing. So let me ask you this morning, who are you spiritually blessing? And who are you materially helping in the name of Jesus so that by your life and ministry, they are blessed? God says that he will bless those who determine to bless others. Notice the second lesson about God here. Second lesson is that God's loving kindness never, and please underline the word never, forsakes his people. Look back at verse 20 in Ruth chapter 2 and notice what Ruth Naomi says. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, the man is a close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now there are two ways that you can take the personal pronoun he in verse 20. When she says, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead, you can take the he there to refer either to Boaz or to the Lord. Either one is acceptable. There are very good reasons to believe that Naomi is talking about the Lord. One of those reasons is back in Genesis chapter 24. So if you would, turn back there with me for just a moment. You know this is the passage where Abraham's servant is looking for a wife for his son Isaac. And I want you to notice what the servant says when he is successful in verse 27, and notice it is almost identical to what Naomi says in verse 20 of Ruth chapter 2. Look at this in chapter 4 of of Genesis 24 and verse 27. Look what the servant says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not... Abandoned, it's the same word for stopped that Naomi uses 
his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Now, this is the very same language used of Abraham here, who was in a covenant relationship with God. Now we come to Ruth chapter 2. Naomi and Ruth are also in a covenant relationship with God. They are seeking to be godly and faithful to Him. And now, as Naomi sees this extraordinary 30 to 50 pound provision, she knows God has not abandoned us. God has a plan. In fact, did you notice she even includes her husband and sons who had died in verse 20. She says, God has been kind not only to the living, but also to the dead. Even at that time when she lost her entire means of support, she knew God has a plan. And now she sees it by this provision. By the way, this comment, Boaz is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Key to the whole rest of the book. Two duties of a kinsman redeemer. Number one, they had to protect the assets of an impoverished relative to keep them from poverty. And number two, They had to marry the widow of a deceased brother to provide for the continuance of their family. And now Naomi is beginning to see God had a plan from the very moment the tragedy began. How wonderful is our God. Notice one final lesson here today. Finally, God's goodness can be trusted for the future. Look at verse 21. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter. Please don't miss that. It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth and Naomi's immediate needs have been met. Food and safety. But the long-term need is still there. Replacement of family. Here's the tension in the story. Boaz is a good and godly man. But will he marry a Moabite? Will he raise up family for a cousin? Will he obey God that far? 
And Naomi says to Ruth, as that tension still remains, it's good for you, my daughter. Don't we begin to see faith welling up here? Don't we begin to see that if God's goodness will provide for the present, then his goodness can be trusted for the future? Isn't that what we are seeing here? Say, how many of you are glad to see Naomi starting to lose her bitterness? Right? Remember she said, call me Mara. Change my name. Call me Mara, which means bitter. That's how I feel. Do you know, never in the entire book does the author ever call her Mara. He continues to call her Naomi, which means pleasant, because he knows God's goodness will bless her yet again. What a wonderful, wonderful lesson. This is for us. If God's goodness provides for the present, His goodness can be trusted for the future. One of my favorite Bible teachers as I was a young person was J. Vernon McGee. You can still hear him every night at 10 o'clock here in Marquette, though he's been dead for well over a decade. I doubt you're going to hear me after I've been dead well over a decade. But he wrote a wonderful little book on Ruth called The Romance of Redemption. And I love these words that he inserted in that book. Let them penetrate. No accident can happen to a child of God. He may be in a car wreck or he may be killed instantly. But for the child of God, that cannot be finally defined as an accident. Nothing can come to a Christian that does not first receive the permission of God. Chance is removed from the child of God. For he is like Job, of whom Satan said, Hast thou not made an hedge about him? And all God's people said, that is absolutely true. I want us to close today by affirming what we believe about God. This is a story about us. It is a story about the God that we believe in. And no matter what our circumstances, we do not base our response to the circumstances. We base them on the God that we believe is providentially working. Let's affirm these truths together. Would you join me? God blesses those who determine to be a blessing. God's loving kindness never forsakes his people. And God's goodness can be trusted.
for the future. Say, when Naomi said to Ruth, it will be good for you, my daughter, don't you think somebody should have written a song based on that verse? Uh, In the providence of God, there's a song in our hymnal that just happens to say God is so good. And we wonder, did it come from Ruth 2, verse 20? I don't know. But let's take a moment and pray together. And then the praise team will lead us. Bow your head with me. Father, I believe it's providential that you brought the Millards today on this day in which we are studying the Word of God about how God provides for His own. And Lord, their testimony, their story, is exhibit A of exactly what the Word of God teaches us. And Lord, we had some difficulty in scheduling. They they were to be here in January. And uh, things just didn't work out. Uh, They should have been here last week. And yet we had a concert, and that was not a good day. And now, Lord... In your overarching (coughs) watchfulness, you have brought them here on this very day so that we may have an illustration of what you do in the lives of those who love you and walk with you. And then, Lord, you wanted to give them some truths that will help them as they go back to a very difficult situation. And so how good you are. We plan, we prepare, but above and beyond it all is the providential working of God every day, never interrupted, bringing things together that only He can do. Help us, Lord, to believe that. And help us Because we have a faith anchored solidly in the character of our God to trust you, even in the hard times. Because we know there is no such thing as chance for the child of God. God has placed a hedge around us. Nothing can come to us but that he permits for our growth, for our good, and for his glory. And therefore, standing upon that, we can look at the future with wonderful and great hope. How we love you, Lord, today. Thank you for the relevance of your enduring word. And we'll thank you and praise you and all God's people said in the name of Jesus.